Hello and welcome to Boothcast. Um, in this podcast, we talk to great people who have inspired me um, to, in sport and in business. Today, we have um, six-time Molokai champion on the board, Jordi Mercer. She's also won things like uh, Ski Molokai. She's won the Iron Woman series. She's like quite a water, water woman. So really, really cool to have her on today. Um, Jordi, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Boothy. I'm excited. I've been loving following the initial podcasts. It's come at a really handy time. So I've been seeking inspiration from your previous chats and interviews. So I'm, I'm honoured to be thought of someone who inspires you. Thanks, Jordi. Yeah, of course. You, you're, you're a sort of a multidisciplinary athlete. You've sort of taken risks and you've done different things. And I really, really want to dive into sort of your mindset today and try and find out how you've done it and, and why you do what you do. But to start off with, like, just let us know, like, for the listeners out there who don't know a lot about Geordie Mercer, where you're from and where you grew up and how you sort of got to this point. Well, I grew up in New South Wales uh, on the south coast, a small town called Thurule, um, which is just north of Wollongong. Uh, and I've always lived a pretty coastal lifestyle. That's been a big part of our family. My dad and my uncle were professional Ironmen and some of the best uh, athletes I think Australia has produced. So I uh, had pretty strong motivators and people that inspired me from a very young age. Um, but it was up until I was 12 that gymnastics was my everything. I love gymnastics. Um, we made the move to the Sunshine Coast, uh, my younger sister, myself, mum and dad. Uh, and that was when I started school. Uh, always did surf life saving and nippers uh, growing up but my passion was gymnastics and it wasn't until uh, 12 that I had to make the big decision after having been offered a position at the AIS um, to train for the upcoming Com Games and Olympics for gymnastics that I realised that this little passion I had for nippers and junior surf life saving was uh, too much for me to say goodbye to altogether. So. That was a big crossroads for me and I guess um, the beginning of my journey towards setting some pretty big goals uh, within ocean sports. Yeah, awesome. So you, you, so you grew up in Thoreau and then you moved up to the Sunshine Coast. Um, so you were about five or six when you moved to the Sunshine Coast? Is that, was that right? Yes. Yeah, and then you started school up on the Sunshine Coast. Have you, and then you joined, did you join Noosa Surf Club at the time as well? Or have you always been there? No, we joined Malulaba Surf Club as a family and my dad was coaching uh, like the youth there and the nippers while he was actually finishing off his career. Um, I probably jumped ahead there. Yeah. He didn't retire a couple of years after. We came to Queensland. Um, oh, and he was still racing at that stage. Um, I think it was a family move, a little bit like of a warmer climate. I think at the end of dad's career, he was seeking um, a little bit of uh, easier inspiration and being a legend coming from the South Coast and training through horrendous win winters and yeah. never saying no to it. I think it came to a time where he thought, I want my girls to grow up in a climate that's uh, a, a little easier to contend with year round and something fresh for mum and dad as well. So that yeah. inspired the movie and I guess the final years of his Ironman career. Um, and that was, I guess, um, our intro to the Sunshine Coast Malulaba Surf Club right through Nippers. And when I qualified for my first Nutrigrain Ironman series, that was my first year in Noosa. So okay. I've been up at 
Yeah, and then you, and you've saved Noosa, you've, you've done, and you've also done gymnastics. So like, talk, tell us a little bit about that because I don't know a lot about that personally. Um, you said you were training for the Com Games and you're sort of like in that sort of program, um, sort of building up to that, but then you sort of had that passion for surf lifesaving. What was sort of like the turning point there? Like why, why did you not chase that gymnastics dream? I know gymnastics has been such a incredible sort of base for a lot of athletes, like growing up. It's something I wish I did. I, I never did it personally. I, I had the opportunity, but I just chose not to. But it seems like a lot of gymnastics athletes later on in their careers are able to sort of diversify really easily because of the work they did when they were kids. Yes, I 100% agree with that. I think what gymnastics offered me as a young child was, I guess, the ability to become a very um, uh, committed and determined um, athlete. I think uh, it taught me a lot of life skills at a very young age, but I think in just from a physical perspective, you have an incredible balance of flexibility and strength. And having that mobility going into any sports is a boost. And I think that that saved me in my career up until about three or four years ago. I really didn't have an injury and I was training and racing like crazy. So I really do thank gymnastics for that because I think that it set my body up to withstand everything I put it through up until a point where I pushed it a little too far. And I'm sure we'll get to that point, but back yeah. to that um, yeah crossroads and to answer your question um i with it i was by no means a standout ocean athlete um when i was that 12 years old 11 years old when that big decision was kind of i just placed in front of me but i think just having such a tight knit um a close supportive family i wasn't ready to say goodbye to that um and another thing was just the people and the, the friends that I was surrounded by through the junior surf life saving the nippers was also something that I wasn't ready to say goodbye to. And there must have been a passion that was was there, but not quite realised or harnessed that was enough for me to kind of really think about like my dreams and aspirations for a professional gymnastics career. Um, and in yeah. that moment, it was the decision I made that, I'm going to try and do both and that was only possible for the next kind of year and that's when I made that decision that you know what I think I want to be the best in the world at this and that happened to be ocean sports and at the time it was paddle boarding board paddling is what I really wanted to do yeah and then so you, you've made that big decision you've gone okay I don't want to do gymnastics anymore because I want to follow this passion so that was always your dream like when you were making those decisions at say like 14 15 it sounds like you were basically like, I want to be the best Ironwoman, I want to be the best water sports, like female in, in, that's ever sort of been um, in, in our sort of history or our recent history. Like, how did you sort of get to that point? Like, obviously, you had your father who was very, very involved in um, ocean sports from your whole way through your childhood. You were obviously watching him as you were growing up and then you're sort of moving into that role. How did you sort of um, deal with that sort of pressure or was it just... Were you, were you used to feel like you were pushed like into that position a little bit or were you just um, internally driven and you just really wanted to do that for yourself? I think that the pathways were there because of, um, I guess, what my dad did. You know, mm. the pathway was very natural because I'd seen what he was doing, you know, and he was involved in that world. So for our family, it was, it was kind of... Um, 
it was almost inevitable that I was going to be associated with that. But that, I guess, the motivation and that will to set these goals and have these like visions for my future, that was 100% intrinsic. Like it's always come from within me. And I don't think it's something that can really be taught. And even having worked with a lot of incredible young children and young athletes, you see it in them, you know, the ones that just have that drive within. And they're not necessarily the champions or the best athletes when they're at that age, but it's just something. It's a spark in their eyes that, you know, they really want this for reasons that they really need external motivation for. And I thankfully just had that drive. And you were sort of self-driven from a young age by the sound of things and you, and you really wanted to do this. Um, and then you sort of like going into like the hours and hours of training like you're talking about, but just before we got on there, how, like how often would you train, like especially going through like that sort of junior sort of 14 to 17, like you're one of the youngest girls to make the Ironman series. How, how was that sort of period? Like, it was, like your whole life was devoted to either like obviously going to school, but then obviously training um, morning and afternoon. How much, how much did you enjoy that? Cause I know personally, like I love that. I used to love waking up, going from training in the morning, going to school all day and then going training in the afternoon and like sleep and repeat. So that must've been something that was really, really important for you as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I don't look back and think, Oh my gosh, how torturous, torturous yeah. was that? I really, and, and through that time being in, I guess that phase of being a young child where, you are very myopic um, with your vision and your like aspirations for sport. And it's like, yes, you engage with school, you have friends and there is that social time, but forever for me, sport has come first, you know, and I I do pride myself on being a very well-rounded human. And I, I just can't settle for not giving the best I have to offer at whatever I try. And that isn't being the best at whatever I try. I can assure you of that. But it's just something within that I cannot settle with not giving my best effort. So, yes, I did that across all opportunities that I was given um, as a child. But sport was what meant everything to me. And training before and after school every weekday was normal. Like, to not do that would just be weird. That was the way it was for as long as I can remember. And yeah, and I think it's just so natural to hear that sort of story from people who have been successful because you are just, you just love what you do and, you, and you're sort of gradually just pushing through those next barriers, trying to set those short-term, long-term goals. And you just like even like getting up and training and making sure you make all your sessions for the week, like that, that's probably a major goal for you for that longest period of time. And then you're sort of moving in. So you, you went through the junior ranks and you were winning, um, were you winning a lot of like Australian titles and, and state titles and that sort of thing through the juniors? Or, you, or did you all of a sudden step it up? Yeah, I, I was always like horrendously competitive, always. Mm. And through Nippers, even once I'd kind of said goodbye to the gymnastics, um, I did flags and sprints, which is the beach aspect of surf by saving. Um, and I'd um, be roped into team events in the ocean, like to do the board and this. And I avoided swimming, adding yeah. across that possibility. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it kind of came to a point where a lot of my friends and the incredible young girls that I train with and, and race alongside through nippers, um, were really loving the board paddling and like that was the thing to do and they were doing really well and 
I think that I was a little bit envious that well, I, I want to do really well at that. I, I was winning some like flags and sprints, some gold state titles on the beach, but yeah, I wanted to be part of that. It looked really fun in the ocean and I had to get over that fear um, and just kind of build my confidence in that. And over my like junior career, um, just teenage years, early teenage years, I developed a real passion for board paddling. And yep. that became my obsession. It was like flags and sprints slowly faded away and I wanted to be the best board paddler in the world. The Iron Woman wasn't as much of a goal then. And I think that's because I didn't really swim until I was much older. A lot of my competitors started swimming. I guess all the, the hours I put into gymnastics, they were in the pool and, you know, harnessing that swimming experience and, and yeah. kilometres. So for me, at the time, it was an Iron Woman dream just seemed somewhat unrealistic because I wasn't yet on a ski. I really didn't like swimming. I just wanted to be the best board paddler in the world. And it wasn't until I discovered you couldn't quite make a career out of that that I thought, okay, maybe I just put every ounce of my being into being the best Iron Woman in the world. So Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I when you got... Left Sorry. So when you got to um, swimming, like sort of swimming training, how old were you when you sort of started swimming training? Because I know that was like your weak point for the Ironwoman for a long time. And I know you worked really, really hard on that to, to get more competitive at that. Obviously, it just it does sort of factor in that those years that you maybe were doing gymnastics, all those other people were swimming. So it does. It is really, really hard to get to that point of being a really competitive swimmer. So and then you became that. But what was the journey there? Like, how old were you when you started swimming and then sort of moving into the Iron Woman series? I, I want to say around 14, I probably was forced to go to the pool. Yeah. And that's where I, I obviously voiced my goals and dreams to mum and dad um, in saying that I want to win the Nutri-Grain Iron Woman series. Like that's yeah. my goal. I want to do that. And I think they were kind of thinking to themselves, like, she can't swim. Like, how yeah. does she do this? So I think, you know, they never pushed me, but it was mum especially. Um, it was always instilled in my sister and I um, that you have to give your best effort at whatever you try. So they're pretty high standards in every aspect of your life. And that is quite draining, I think, aiming towards that. But um, that was then the process. It was a little bit of um, a gentle push out the door of a morning to be like, if you want this goal that you're saying you want so bad, you got to go to the pool. So 14, I started to do that and it was agonizing. Yeah, I, I cried can imagine. The pool and I wanted to go because I wanted to be that champion and I wanted to improve, but oh, it was, it was humiliating at time. It was like an embarrassing process, you know, and I, I in tears be driving to the pool, but I, I, I would wake myself up and make that happen. It was a weird process, but um, one, I still think, gosh, I wish I started earlier. It would have made my life a lot easier, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah, um, yeah it was at 15, um, like I'd even struggled to make um, Ironwoman finals through those junior ranks. Like that was the big goal. I'd be so nervous before the Ironwoman races. I try my best to get a lead in the board and I'd run the transitions like a maniac. And then the swim was just survival. Yeah. But it was, 
at 16 where I'd put a whole lot of effort um, into, I guess, just lifting my strengths to give myself a buffer and just surviving on my swim yeah. training. So, 16, so when, I, sorry, so when did you go from sort of thinking, okay, like I'm going to be... I'm going to be mediocre at this. Like I'm a good ball paddler, but I haven't swum trained. I'm not going to really be able to push through this next barrier. But then you gradually started pushing through that barrier. And as you're saying, like at 16, you're sort of like, okay, like this is what I want to do. I've made my strengths better. But when did you start making your weakness better as well? Like obviously your swim leg. And like we all know, like the weaknesses are where you can make the most improvement. Well, to be honest, it probably took me five years to actually allow my weakness to become on par with the girls out there that I could hold my own. Um, yeah. and that, that was a process of requalifying in some years or automatically making it through from year to year in the professional Nutrigrain series. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that definitely over that phase from 16, year 11 at school, um, I decided I was going to trial for the Ironwoman series and I haven't yep. been on the ski all that long and that was the year that I when I think back honestly I don't think I've wanted anything more than what I wanted to qualify for that series in that year that I that I qualified and it was against the odds I mean the, well, the history that I explained to you it on paper it really wouldn't have looked like it was possible but if you want something bad enough you are able to push your body to limits that are pretty incredible. And I did that and qualified and that started, I guess, my career as a professional athlete. Yeah. And I think that's super inspirational. I think any of the kids out there watching this, like who may be in a similar situation, they haven't swum or they haven't been doing something, but they want to achieve something great. It is all about perseverance and consistency and really setting those short-term goals to set that long-term goal. Cause you set the goal to make the series um, when you were 16. You achieved that through hard work for that two years, obviously swim training and board training and Ironman training and spending that, like, I don't know, 20, 25 hours a week actually just training for that on top of the schooling that you're doing. So it shows that if you really want something, you can achieve it. And then coming down the track, obviously, we'll talk about your career in the Ironwoman series, but you, you, you've gone eventually to win the Ironwoman series. So it's, it's quite an incredible achievement just showing how, uh, tenacious and your determination and, and your focus over that long period of time, knowing that, okay, I've got these short-term goals. I'm going to make it, but I also want to win it. And it took you a, quite a long time to achieve that. So talk us through that sort of period between sort of 16 to 21 when you became sort of really, really competitive in that series. Well, it really just became an ongoing process of trial and error. The amount of mistakes that I'd make in a race and, you know, I'd be heartbroken so many times because I had these goals that seemed so achievable for me. And it was just season after season, year after year, that it was just, obviously, there was more lessons I had to learn. There was more time for me to grow power, improve strength, become a better and a smarter athlete. So I am thankful for that five-year process because the amount that I learned and not just about being a better and more capable ocean athlete, but what some of those setbacks and upsets taught me and some of those moments where I'd be a second on the podium or a third on the podium, so close to that win. Um, that process means more to me 
then and staying true to that process means more to me than that victory five years later um, with the overall Nutrigrain Series title win meant yeah. to me. So I think that that's just a testament to people, how incredible it is to be able to get creative, set yeah. goals that scare you and commit to that process, knowing it won't be easy, knowing it will take a long time um, because if you embrace that journey, you learn so much along the way. And like the further away that finish line, the more rewarding the achievement of crossing it. So it, that definitely taught me that over an incredible five year. Yeah. It just sounds like you're just spending a lot of, like a lot of time and effort into formulating this plan. And then you're like taking those challenges to the next level. Like you're telling other people your goals, you're making yourself accountable. You're, and that's sort of like the common theme I'm finding in a lot of these um, podcasts is that, the people who have been really, really successful have been made themselves um, accountable. They've told other people, they've written down their goals. Like even speaking to Earl Evans just before, he was saying exactly the same thing in his business approach. So it's, it's quite similar to see like sport and business is very, very similar. But then you sort of talk about your, your failures essentially, or the things that you could have done better. And you've looked at those, you've, you've broken them down. You've analyzed like the data and you've worked out, okay, so if I didn't make that mistake, it would have been an extra five seconds, which could have been an extra place or, whatever that is. And I think that's quite incredible. And you're sort of just taking those losses, but you're using them as stepping stones to that, that next victory or that next, that big victory down the track that you had. And um, that's, that's really, really important. I think for anybody sort of listening, you've got to really take things as a process and move through them um, gradually because everything isn't going to work out the way that you plan them to. Yeah. And that is the beauty of life, isn't it? Yeah. It's exciting. It's so unpredictable. Um, but that I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's yeah. so very true. Yeah, it it is committing to that process, um, knowing that and respecting. I think that those losses, yes, they'll probably hurt more than the hard work and training you put into it. But they're not failures if you learn from them, and yeah. that's the biggest. And that was the beautiful process of those years for me. Like I learned so many things. It was. I'd get to a point and I was pretty religious. I should do it more often. And I've tried to tap back into it now, but I write like a diary, not so much like week to week, but races like leading into the race and after the race. And I flick back and, and think, okay, I can't, as long as I don't make the same mistake twice, I am progressing. Yeah. And I get to point over the years where I think like, how can I possibly make any more mistakes? Like I've tallied up a diary full of mistakes, but they keep coming. But as long as you're not making the same one twice, you are progressing, you are improving, you're growing. So yeah. And you're moving, you're constantly moving forward and you're trying to, like they say, like that you've got to take those massive actions for massive results. And that's something that you can see with your background. Like you've done a lot of gymnastics and you did like the, the surf lifesaving, but you're really committed and you did a lot of work and that, led to the big results. So if you don't do a lot of work, you're going to get, you know, don't expect to get really big results because at the end of the day, the hard work that you put in, like, as they say, like overnight successes are built from years of hard work. So you've really built yourself up into that space. So let's talk about, um, when was your first victory in the Nutrigain series? Like how old were you? Um, I was 20. Uh, I was 20 at the end of that series I had a birthday through that series but 20 when I had my first win so over those years I'd had a lot of podium finishes seconds and thirds over my yep. five years span series but 
but it wasn't until the year I won that I actually got my first win which is kind of wild. And once I'd done that, I felt like I had unlocked that, that secret of years and years of, um, I guess, acquiring knowledge from progress mistakes and, and everything that came with that journey to finally be able to put it into practice. And it was like, I had this magic ticket now. I can do yeah. it. I can move all of my hard work. And that year and season for me was phenomenal. And, and what, what do you think, like changed and obviously like your hard work over a long period of time really resulted in great results. But was it something that switched like mentally on? Like, did you suddenly believe that you could do it? Like, obviously you set the goal out and you're like, I want to win, but you get, you got to get to a point where you're sort of moving through the figure. I remember talking to Bruno Hussulia the other day and he was talking about like, you're sort of moving into like that, that front pack and you're like, you feel like you, you shouldn't be there. And then you sort of sudden get comfortable in that front pack and you're like, okay, well maybe I can be at the front of that front pack. And then you're sort of like, going, Oh, maybe I can win these races. And that was a really good conversation I had with him. And I think that's something that you probably found in that year. Like, did you find like you were sort of gradually being more comfortable in being at the front and you were comfortable leading and all of a sudden that started breeding into great results? Yes, that, that's really beautiful to hear that. That's actually goosebump worthy because for sure, in a sense, um, it was a real change in my mental state which I think was a product of everything that had been before. It was almost as if I'd gotten to a point where I drew confidence from the results that I've had in board paddling. And in this uh, fifth and sixth year of my Nutrigrain series, I'd actually won my sixth consecutive paddleboard title um, at the Molokai to Oahu crossing. Yep. So for me, I was ticking these boxes and I had that reassurance that, yes, I am the best in the world at what I put my mind to and what I empty every ounce of my being into. But this Iron Woman uh, Nutrigrain Series title win was like, it was my Achilles heel. It almost didn't matter to me that I was winning all of these board races that I'd set my mind to because I hadn't won the Nutrigrain Series. And yep. in that year, I the biggest shift and change was I got to a point, Boothie, where I was so frustrated that I was not going to let myself have another year of learning. I was just done with it. I wanted yeah. to win so bad that I was almost, I just got ruthless. And I yeah. think I'd, I didn't quite have that in those previous years. I just, I love doing races that, was so insanely grueling that you didn't even have to touch or be shoulder to shoulder with your competitors. If you worked the hardest and were the fittest and made good decisions on the day, you would win. And for me, yeah. that was more. But in Nutrient Ironman series and, and in surf life saving racing, you have to be ruthless. And I wasn't. But it got to that point where I was so fed up and frustrated with chasing this dream that I was so ready for it. And I believed, like, this is my year. And that belief was just, I won't let anyone stand in my way. This is my year. So I'm really sorry, competitors. I'm glad you're all here because I'm racing the best of the best. But I apologize in advance. I will win. It, yeah. It, it was. And, like, and then that's sort of like the difference between like cockiness and confidence. Like you were just confident. Like you were like, I want to win this more than everybody else. And I know I take that same approach when I get on the start line. It's like, I am better than everybody else. And if you don't think that you're better than everybody else when you get on that start line, you're not going to win because 
it's almost like um, it, there was a moment for me when I was going through and I started winning um, a lot of like stand up or ocean ski races. And when I started to win, I actually started to go, okay, well, why, why does anyone else deserve to win more than me? Like you sort of give a, a certain amount of respect to the your other competitors, like the people that have inspired you, you've idolized them and you sort of get in the start and you're like, whoa, like I'm, I'm paddling next to Hank McGregor, I'm paddling next to Corey Hill or I'm paddling next to Tim Jacobs for me when I first started ski racing or David Mocker or who all these guys. And, but you get to the point where you're like, okay, but they're only human. Like you start talking to them, you humanize them. You start to like really realize they're only just people. And you're like, well, at the end of the day, if they can do it, I can do it. So how do I make that happen? And you've got those years of hard work behind you. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I've got the years of hard work. Now I've got the mental strength to sort of push and, and try and take these victories away from other people. Cause that's what you're doing. You're not, you're not, you, you all want to win. Like every single person at that line wants to win. Like no one goes in the race and goes, oh, I really hope I get second or, or fifth or whatever it is. Like deep down, they all want to win. And that tenacity seems to have come out in you when you've turned 21, you've realized that you want to have that victory. You want to have what these other people have and you have to go out there and take it. Yeah. So I think it's, it's really, really cool to hear. And um, so moving into, so you've spoken a little bit about Molokai there. Um, and you saw, and you've also said that, okay, like it wasn't really your main focus because your goal was obviously winning the Nutrigrain series. But at what point did you start to go, hang on, what I'm doing is really, really cool. Like I'm going to Hawaii every year. I'm training for four months or whatever it is. And I'm really committed to this race and I'm winning it. I've got the record. I'm going, I've got multiple titles. Like when did that sort of change for you? How you started to approach that race? To be honest, I think that, um, I always treated that race with the respect I think it deserves. And those achievements in that race mean so much to me because I know what I have to empty of my soul to be in a position to yeah. one, cross, and two, do it in the fastest time I possibly can. Yeah. So I always was humbled by the experience of doing that race throughout all those years and to win meant the world to me but I just think it wasn't until I won the Nutri-Grain Series title that I felt like I was a legit ocean athlete I just needed to prove that to me you know yeah. people maybe from the outside would have thought wow what what she's doing is incredible no one's won that many in a row a female before and but to, just to me within myself winning that Nutri-Grain title was a product of staying true to my dream for that many years. And all of a sudden, like I justified to myself that, okay, you are a water woman and you have yeah. done that. And now you can embrace these other challenges that you love and you can yeah. embrace these challenges that take you to incredible lengths. And for me, that was to continue that, I guess, Molokai uh, journey, um, that year to year challenge that I, was so humbled to be able to put my hand up for and you know pour everything into yeah and you've and you spoken just before as well um we were talking about uh, molokai and you won six in a row on the on the board uh who were your main challenges at that point for the molokai each year there was one or two more girls that would come over and it, the whole process of that was pretty incredible. Like each year for me, there was a different mental challenge or something that I'd overcome like throughout that process and do that race. It was like almost like a new chapter each year that I would kind of overcome that challenge and have that uh, 
added element to like who I was as a person, like thanks to everything that comes with that race. And each year there was a new girl that often from the Iron Woman world would like vocalize and say, I'm going to win and yeah. I'm going to beat women. Like each year it was insane. So I'd almost have just like a new face that would come over. There was the girls that would kind of staying true to it, but then every year there was someone else who would step up and vocalize saying, I'm going over to do this and I'm going to beat Jordan. Yeah. So throughout the years it did change. Um, but that's awesome though. That's so cool. Like people go out and they're, cause they're trying to beat you and you're like, oh, hang on, no, no, this is my time. I'm going to win. And that, but that's the beauty of sport. You want that challenge. You want the competitors. You want to be able to prove yourself continuously. Like I remember seeing something online, um, Usain Bolt posted, I think before his third Olympics, he wasn't that motivated. He wasn't that keen to go. I think Justin Gatlin came out and said, I'm definitely going to win. I'm going to beat Usain. And Usain was like, hang on a minute. And like, he just, that, that, and that was his motivation. He was like, I'm going to beat you. Like, you're never going to beat me. And I think that's sort of on a different scale with yourself. Like someone comes up and goes, hey, I'm going to win Molokai. You're like, no, you're not. I'm going to win Molokai. This is my race. And that's, that's really, really cool here to hear how pumped you get and how excited you get and the passion that is sort of driven through that conversation. Yeah, it, it was um, definitely an added motivator each year because it was like, okay, I've overcome that challenge. It was just like a huge, almost like a sigh of relief, but it was, it was like, okay, next year. Let's not sit um, and celebrate this victory. It's like, and next, and next. Um, and that was, it's a pretty exhausting and draining process. I think that target on my back got bigger each year. But yep. for me, it was a matter of um, even just being someone who, to my detriment, is very conscious of other people's opinions and perception of me. And I always had this feeling, I've gotten a lot better at it, um, but of this need to prove my worth. Yeah. And that was a in Molokai, it's like, well, somebody else thinks that it's easy. You know, everything seems impossible until it's done. And I really yeah. prided myself on putting myself out there and taking challenges that a lot of people would not have signed up for unless they saw it done by someone that they perceived as being like, oh, if she can do it, well, I can do it. Yeah. And I know for a fact there was actually, there's quite a few men who, from the surf life saving world have said yes to that race because i'm sure they've seen me do it and think well if she, if she can do it i can do it but each year it was a matter for me to prove my worth and justify my space as the world champion there and some memorable years for me was definitely the year that maddie dunn um came over to really give that race a good crack um i really respect her as like a, a competitor and a friend um and that was a year where I was so nervous in that lead up prep. Um, but the race itself was pretty amazing. That victory meant a lot. Yep. Uh, the year that Miranda Davies went over to do it and she actually had done the ocean ski and wanted to be the first one to win the double. Yep. And that's when that idea had kind of like sparked in my mind. But my dad told me that if you keep winning the board, you don't need to worry about doing the ski until you can, because if you yeah. win the board, stop them from winning both. Yeah. So for me, like the next three years, I was like, okay, I'll just do the board and I'll stop anyone who tries to do both until I'm ready to do both. So yeah. uh, that was <laughs> a bit of a motivation there. And then one of the biggest years uh, challenges was when Liz Plumers, um, who is 
probably one of the most decorated uh, iron iron women in yep. the world, and definitely Australia. Uh, came over and she was getting to the point where she wanted to tick off some of the bigger goals in her career. She was at the top of her game and said pretty loud and proud that she wanted to go over and win that race. Um, so for me, that was like someone that I'd idolised in Surf Life Saving um, and in Iron Woman uh, coming over to beat me in that race. But um, that victory... Well, that process drained me uh, for yeah. all I was worth. That victory um, across the channel probably um, was the most rewarding for me personally. And I think that's a pretty common theme because I know um, when I'm racing my competitors, like your competitors are so much part of your races. It's because like when you're training, you're thinking about being your competitors. You're, you're, they're, they're getting you out of bed. They're making you want to. So actually you've, got, you've got to really respect your competitors. You've got to love your competitors. I remember talking to Corey the other day and it was like, well, it'd be great to be able to win every race by five minutes, but he goes, the ones that um, I love to win the most are the ones that were the most challenging or the ones that like I've really had to strive so hard to achieve or it's that you're winning by one run or whatever that is. And I think that's, that's so much a part of it because if you've got a big challenger there and they want to win as much as you want to win and then you win, it's like, wow, that was pretty cool to, to be able to get that one on top of somebody else. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you can think back to races where you haven't had that and personally they don't mean all that much to me that's just yeah. a day on the training um and i think that's what it was some of the achievements that i am like just deeply grateful for having the chance to race women that scare me women that yeah. are renowned as being the best of the best because having the opportunities to race them and rise to the top in those moments that's what i'm all about and yeah. in these series, um, especially the New Terrain series that I did win, um, that was the case. And I'm just so thankful that I had the opportunity to have those victories um, against people that do get you up in the morning and have been a source of inspiration for many reasons. And then obviously, like, as you're talking about like, people who scared you, people who inspired you, like, as, as a youngster, like, who did you look to? Like, and then who did you get to, like, I know for me personally, like uh, when I was starting ocean ski or stand up paddling, like you just like put like right down, like, okay, I want to beat this person. I want to beat this person. I want to beat this person. You gradually like, if you don't write them down, they're in your head and you're like, okay, so why haven't I beaten that person? You start studying them. You start working out how to beat them and then you get them and you move on to the next target and they might beat you again, but then you've got them uh, sort of like notching your belt. Who inspired you? And then how good was it when you got to the point where you could actually start to challenge them and, and sort of beat them and, and reach your goal. Cause there's, there's some probably the short term goals you had when you were setting out to win the overall Nutrigrain series. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to think back, I think um, if I'm thinking of uh, female competitors, um, it started through nippers uh, at Malula bar. We had an incredible group of young girls. It was such an, inc uh, it, a competitive team that you know we would be fighting for that a team out of an abc maybe d team so i was constantly surrounded by very motivated uh girls and i think i took that like through the years where things started to get pretty serious for me and uh i guess my first female at real inspiration um was hayley bade up and yep. i think that's because she was um, a great board paddler. Yes, she was an Iron Woman champion, but 
at that time, I just wanted to be a board paddler. So I wanted to race Haley and I wanted to beat Haley. Uh, and it, I was just like waiting for my chance to be old enough to be allowed to also race in those open uh, events as well as my age group. Um, so those earlier years, it was like I'd look towards the board, the female board paddles, like Elise Bennett, Haley Badoff, um, and and Liz Plumers as well. Um, so for me, it was like, oh my gosh, like I just want to, I want the chance to race them, and I really want to beat them. It was yeah. incredible to have that opportunity at a young age, and so they were my initial inspirations. And obviously, then throughout the Ironwoman series. In those earlier years, some of the women I was racing were 10 years my senior. Um, I was really young and I guess, uh, along with a few others, really led a charge for the youth um, to think that it was possible to be a part of that at a young age. Um, And it wasn't quite a changing of the guard at first, but just some youth coming through to really shake things up. um, yeah, so there's definitely some names that I just wanted to be able to race so that I could possibly beat them. Yeah. Liz Flynn, Courtney Hancock, Crystal Smith, Haley Bader. Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful that I was able to race with that generation of such trailblazers and then find myself leading a new generation of phenomenal female youth. So, yeah, yeah big names. And as you said, it makes a big difference having that inspiration and the opportunity to be the dark horse young gun that yep. nobody wants on with you. It, I, yeah, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really, really cool. And I think seeing, I can see this, as you talked about before the spark in your eye, the passion is really coming through to what you're saying. Like you just really do love getting out there and giving your best and, and trying to achieve these goals. And it's, it's really, really cool. And I think now like you've, you've come through the Iron Woman series, you're still doing the Iron Woman series. Um, but you've also done the six Molokai's, you've won those, and then you take the opportunity to actually do the surf ski Molokai as well. Um, you spoke about um, the girls before who'd done it before you were trying to do it. What, what was the difference? Like, I know you went over there the first year, you got third, and then you sort of won the next year. How did you go, approach that? And like, I know you said like, originally you weren't a strong ski paddler, so how did you um, go about that to become a good ski paddler, to become strong, and to be able to win that? Because obviously, probably know the channel better than a lot of those girls you were racing against because you've done it so many times in the prone and it was going to be faster on the ski so how did you approach that new challenge well i guess that new direction came about um because i'd had some major setbacks in in relation to foot injuries um I had a major foot injury, uh, stress fracture, which then required surgery. And obviously I couldn't race Ironwoman um, or run and do the necessary training that I'd always relied on. So that was a big change up in my life. Um, I I guess everything that made me happy and everything that I identified with um, to be Jordan and be me was taken away for me to change things up. I needed to set myself new goals. Um, I needed new motivation. And throughout that process, I just promised myself that I'd see, I'd look for positives because I know they're always there. They're, you know, they're just hidden by the negatives that jump to the foreground um, a lot of the time first. Um, yeah. Throughout that process, I just thought, well, this is my chance now. Um, I can't yet 
but the first thing I will be able to do on the water will be paddle a ski. So this is the year I'm going to put what I can and train, you know, amidst the restrictions that I now have. And I'm going to try and become the best ocean ski paddler in the world. Yeah. Uh, and the way I saw of being able to do that was the Molokai to Oahu crossing. So that first year, um, I started my training just because I couldn't get on the water earlier. Um, just after the surf, I saving Aussies, which I pushed through a fair bit of pain there. My foot wasn't quite back ready to go, but I just thought, you know, this training will help me with my fitness. And it was a, a month, I guess, before the Molokai surf ski that I jumped on an ocean ski for the first time. Um, and it felt all right. Uh, so I did the work there and I just, I'd never gone to Molokai without being like a hundred percent committed and prepared. Um, but yep. for this time I had to go with the work that I've done. And that was a lot less than what, you know, I would want to put forth. Um, the amount of respect that I give to that race, but it was what it was. And it was an opportunity I wanted to take. So it was thanks to Sean and partners actually for making it possible for me to be over there. Yeah. Uh, and I, that race my absolute all yeah i learned a lot actually um it was the first year i've ever crossed the channel and not one i was no longer undefeated across the channel and that hurt a lot and i think i raced uh um i was just a little bit too stubborn yeah i raced wanting to beat the world record in the first time that i did it um so i set a pace that when it came to the time that counted, which was China Wall, where you actually hit that point of earth when you get back to Oahu, um, that I went from first to almost fourth and back to third. So, wow, okay, um, I learned a lot. So, so what? So this is this 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 is the year that Haley Nixon won. Is that right? That's right. Haley yes. Nixon, then Rachel Clark, and then yourself. Yes. So and you said actually, you came to the wall first. What happened? Mm -hmm. I was empty. Yeah. Yeah, you think that's empty. the end, don't you, sometimes in Molokai? You're like, oh, it's just, it's just there. But then you go like 3K to go, which is like, I don't know, 12, 13 minutes, depending on what the wind's doing and what, what swells you catch in that sort of section. And, yeah, you can, you've sort of come unstuck there. So how did you learn from that for the next year? Well, I mean, I had the luxury of um, going into it and seriously preparing for it putting in that time that that event deserves and I did it with a newfound inspiration because I was not going to go over there and lose again so yeah. I had to redeem myself um for me personally and also to achieve that goal that I had of um being the first person to win on the board and the ski so I just had the chance to put in more work I just worked harder for longer leading into that event and second yeah. year round ocean ski, I had a better feel for it. And um, that belief in myself was, again, I think driven from a bit of frustration of the year before coming third and being so close um, after such a long race um, and having, I, I guess, that position changed there. It just, I was really motivated. I believed in myself and, I was insanely fit and ready for that challenge. Yeah. And I think that's, it's really cool to see how you've sort of 
taking your negatives and made them into a positive because you, you went home and you trained harder and you probably were still doing the, the Aussies and that sort of stuff as well, but you're actually still training on your ocean ski all the way through that. You did more racing, so you became more proficient on the ski. You've learned it better. You learned your competitors and you sort of had that whole year to approach it. And I think that's something special about those events that are sort of year in, year out. So you have something like the Ironman series where you're racing every second week or something over summer. So if you make a mistake, you've got two weeks and you can make it fix that error. And I know with my racing, like a lot of the time throughout the year, you're racing 20 times or something like that. So you make a mistake and you're like, ah, it kills you for a week. But then you go out and you rectify that mistake the next week. Whereas like someone for someone like me, like for Molokai this year, I just, the whole race was a mistake essentially for me, like my preparation, my nutrition, my like paddling, like everything that I did in that race was just wrong. And then, I, then you have to sit back and wait a whole year. But now we have to wait two years. So it's, it's almost harder. Um, so when you finish that race this year, oh, sorry, last year, and you were able to win and break the record, how did that feel? It was just a lot of personal satisfaction, to be yeah. honest. I mean, I think over the last couple of years and probably dealing with um, such big back-to-back injuries, um, I've really gotten to a point where I do a lot more for me. Um, yeah. And I think that makes me a better person for everyone I care about and I'm surrounded by. So I really try to um, commit to just taking a step back and trying to work out why are you doing this? What is your motivation and what does it mean to you or me personally? Yeah. Um, and that um, was just like within, I just felt so content. And yeah. uh, it was a moment where for the first time in my career, um, I actually decided that I was just going to let, let it sink in and I wasn't going to look for and next and next and next. And I was just going to be present with that victory that meant a lot to me personally. Yeah. And I think that's so, so important to celebrate your victories. I think we get, as you say, like caught up with the next goal and the next experience, but it's, I feel like it's so important. And that's something that ocean ski really has involved in the whole community in the way that everybody approaches it. Like, when you win a race, you really win the race. You like celebrate it with your friends. You have drinks afterwards. And it's just like, it's, it's a big deal every time you get on that start line. Whereas if you're in a series or something like that, it is a little bit hard because you're always looking to that next goal. You're always looking to that next event. You don't want to like do too much and you sort of like save yourself up and you sort of have a big celebration at the end. But being able to celebrate each and every one of your victories with your friends, with your family, with anybody who's around, it's, it's a really incredible experience. And I, I really like that you're sort of, got to that point in your career because it sounds like before that you were really just trying to like search for that next goal, search and searching, searching, but now you've won six Molokai's on the board. You've won on the ski. You've won your Nutrigain Ironwoman title. So now that you've sort of had a year since then, where, where what's next for Geordie? Like I know you've, you've done a little bit of SUP now as well. Yes. The, I mean, there's always new goals and I, I think, um, 2020 there was a whole lot of goals that um, are no longer possible so it's something that every human in the world can relate to it's now a phase for us that it's a forced pause you know and I've taken that as an opportunity to really think about um, what I want to do um, and I think uh, on a deeper level you know who do I want to be for other people yes I've gotten to a point where I do more for me and um say no to things that you know aren't for my overall happiness and I think that after so many years of just doing things 
because I feel like I owe it to other people and even uh, having so many incredible partnerships and sponsorships um, that people that I've worked with, I've always felt like I need to be working at a level and next and next and next um, to justify and warrant having their support. Yeah. So that was um, an ongoing uh, journey and, and never ending kind of satisfaction because I felt like I owe them more. I owe them more. And I think mentioning this as well, when we were young instilled in us, like giving your very best to any opportunity that is there. And I'm a very optimistic person. So I'm always looking for opportunities and creating opportunities. So it does become kind of exhausting. I think um, giving your best to every small little thing and opportunity you see in life. So 2020, I was really excited, I think, to just um, jumping with more ocean ski. Yeah. And I think I'd fall in love with the, the new community that I was a, a part of and the honour of being named in the Shuren Partners race team. I really thought 2020 for me was going to be a year where I just picked and choose a couple events um, that meant a lot to me in the year instead of just being full out professional athlete, um, put a bit more time into my uni. My yep. fiance and I were going to get married this year, but everything's changed, you know? So yep. it, and have to adapt to that. And um, yeah, I, again, it's just a matter of let creativity be your only limitation, you know, yep. as you, um, what a beautiful time to connect with people and share people's stories. And you've done that so nicely, just, making something great out of something you could have easily seen as a negative, but you've done something great with it. And I yeah. think everyday life is the chance to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think it's all important to you sort of have this moment in time and, and in our lives now, like it's probably the one of the biggest moments that probably happened to us. Like it's not Armageddon. It is a, it is a pause on our lives as you talk about, but you do have to realize that, okay, so sometimes I can't do the things that I want to do, but, then you realize there are so many other things that you want to do as well. Like I have these lists like um, that have been sitting there for a long time that all these passion projects and something like this was on it and like doing different stuff with my website and like, and trying to build those things. And you never have time to do that because you're constantly working on that next goal, that next thing. And you're sort of like, you're in this like constant motion, but when you stop, you're like, Oh, well now I can look sideways and see what else is out there. What else can I do? Like, there's so many things we can't do right now, but there's so many amazing things we can do. And, and talking to people who have great stories like yourself is, is really, really fulfilling for me. Cause I just love talking to people. I love engaging and I love, I don't know, just hearing about their stories and their passions. And I love learning like from you or anybody else I've spoken to. Like, it's really, really cool. And so you, you've also touched there on like the, the importance of saying no. And I think that's something I've learned over time as well. Like it's so nice to just say no to things. Like it, it, it's not like you haven't, like looked at the numbers and you haven't like you've analyzed that situation. But sometimes there's things that I know, especially when I was younger and less mature, I'd go, Oh, like, I really feel like I need to do that. But at the same time in my gut, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't need to do that. But you do feel like that external pressure. How do you, how do you personally deal with deciding how to just say, okay, sorry, I just, I, I don't have time for this. I, I actually have all these other priorities I need to focus on. Well, it's not my forte and it's definitely been like a process of personal development for me in that sense because it was probably one of the things that I've found the hardest to do and much the same of like any habits, old habits do die hard. So I think it helped um, 
the injuries that I've been through over the last two seasons, three seasons, um, been two major foot injuries, my left and my right, both required surgery and both took me away from all of the plans, dreams and goals that and intentions that I had made me realise what I missed most, um, what was important to me and I really, I, I lost that joy and that zest for life and just that contentment of like being who I was and so it almost was forced upon me to realise that if I don't, I guess, create uh, that ability to say no to things that don't make me happy, I'm going to be in, like a depressed human. I'm going to be yeah. really upset. And I just got to a point where I realised um, how beautiful these incredible opportunities that I do have and that I want to say yes to are. Um, I really just don't have time in this short and precious life to say yes to those that don't. And yeah. as you said, calculated. It doesn't mean that I say no to anything that's hard or, you know, the odd occasion and event that you don't want to go to. You calculate these things, but just even that balance of um, saying a little bit of yes to what means most and what I guess gives the most back to you. Uh, yeah. puts you in a position to be a better person for everybody you come in contact with. So, yes, you say no to things for you, but in doing that, you are a better person to those you yeah. care about. And I think, and I think that's sort of like anxiety and mental strength um, that you need to do that. Because sort of like if, you have, if you get like sort of trying to say yes to everything, like, and I think it is really important to say yes to most things that you get the opportunity to do, but you have to be able to say no to the things that, just aren't going to propel you forward. Like you've got to find that mental strength to go, okay, well, I need to focus on what these areas that I've been really focusing on. And I want to give a hundred percent to those areas. I can't give 75% to those areas and give this area 25%. And then it's like, it doesn't all work. You've got to really be able to know where you can focus your time, where you can focus your energy. And then having that good sort of work life training balance that you've sort of got to have now, because I know you're studying. Um, I, I don't know. Like you're obviously a professional athlete and you're, and you're training in sort of, you're trying to do your Ironman stuff still, but obviously that's all on hold. And then you've got the Cersei stuff that you're putting on hold. So what, what are you working on at the moment um, now that you've got a little bit more time on your hands? Well, university is consuming me. Um, yeah. Not something that comes easy for me personally. I'm, I'm studying primary education. So to be honest, that is... Um, probably taking up majority of my time. Um, yep. like tactile hands on time as well as like mental kind of exertion. Yeah. Um, on top of that, I'm, yes, I've done some incredible things like with my ocean ski paddling, but I, I still had a lot of work to do with my feet. Um, so throughout this phase, like I've actually done some incredible work and finally have some progress with my feet. So I'm back running again. So awesome. for me, sport and uh, I guess becoming like a better athlete every day is an ongoing goal. Um, I'm obviously like trying to keep house. I've got a really cute puppy that I'm now like very much in love with. I didn't think I was going to be one of those dog parents, but yep. I am you know you you give a lot to the relationship 
I'm in um, with Tim, you know, that, that takes a lot and it's a pleasure, but, you know, to make that uh, as beautiful as it can be, that requires a lot of effort. And I think just with the newfound time, reaching out to engage with friends because a sacrifice that I made, you know, since I've been really young is just saying no to so many social opportunities and yeah. I kind of dis- discovered that, um, that's a part of life that I want to embrace. Um, it makes me feel really good. And so I'm kind of tapping into being a, a more social human um, yeah. amidst uh, social distancing times. It's yeah. kind of like my natural habitat is this isolation ruling that's across the world. Like I'm in my niche. As long as I can train, go in the ocean, uh, communicate with people on the very rare odd occasion from a distance, I'm, I'm a happy human. <laughs> It, no, but it, it totally it totally is the same thing for me because I, what I've realized in this sort of like time of self-isolation, like any, any sort of work I do at home with like booth training or the other little endeavors that I have going on, um, I, I'm generally just at home. I'm very like an isolated sort of person. I, I speak to a lot of people on the phone. I, I text a lot of people and I, I call and all that sort of stuff. But I'm actually, it's my life hasn't really changed that much. Like I still train. I still go paddling. Like I'm not we can still go out. Like I don't usually go out in big groups. I don't really train in squads generally. So it's, it's, it's not yeah. that different, but when someone says you can't do it, it becomes like, Whoa, hang on. I'm not allowed to do it. Like my freedoms are taken away. Um, and that's something that I had to deal with for sure. Um, but I, I do see like where you're talking about like yourself, like you sort of isolating yourself when you are training, because I know when I was going through school, you weren't able to go to all those functions or, or friends or like go, or go do things after school or, go out on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night or whatever everyone was doing when you were in those late teen periods. Um, how did you deal with that? Like that's something really interesting, I guess, but especially those athletes like aspiring to be Jordan Mercer. How did you deal with that sort of social pressures as well? Because you become fairly isolated because you can't do those things if you want to achieve the lofty heights you have. At times it was difficult and it made me upset saying no to things or feeling like you were kind of a bit of an outsider with that school friends group, you know, but for me, um, through those years, achieving the goals that I'd set out for myself meant more to me. And and that was enough to kind of justify making those sacrifices. And I, I definitely went through phases where it became all too much. You know, I was too regimented and like, if you think of, like a visual analogy of of life being like a tripod and you mentioned earlier that say you have like your health social life and then personal endeavors um and that can look different or it can have many different like legs in other people's lives but when one's out of whack then the top of the tripod it's not sitting steady and at times you know you can make it through but it got to points for me where even with um, nutrition and be so regimented with different things and training commitment, I won't do that. I won't go surfing on the weekend in case I help myself. I used to love skateboarding, like didn't pick up a skateboard for however many years because, you know, you can't do that, might hurt myself. And it got to a point where I had to change up that balance. Um, But for the most, for me to make those sacrifices to miss out on these different like extracurricular activities or just fun, normal human or teenager engagements that for me was, it meant more to me to be the best athlete I could be and to achieve these goals. Like 
that end result without experiencing it, I knew it would feel better or I believed it would feel better than mm. the odd myself here and there. So yeah. that's enough to keep me going um, at a young age, which I'm so thankful for. Um, but it hasn't always been the case. You know, I feel like I've had to change up that balance sometimes. And even this year, 2020, some of my bigger partnerships um, um, I ended contracts with because I was just, I needed to have a little bit more freedom with what I did and have the ability without um, needing to give back and next and next and next, like we spoke about um, with partnerships yeah. and sponsorships, um, to just have a bit more freedom, you know, to engage with friends, um, to let yourself go for a surf uh, and enjoy like the hobbies that, you know, I'd said no to. So 2020 was almost about that picking and choosing a couple massive events and races, um, putting everything into them and dominating. And uh, then for the rest of it, just kind of being a normal human, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking so, about like a, an educated no, essentially, or what you're sort of talking about there. Like you, 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 like you want to be able to do everything, but you're actually going, oh, it's an educated no, like, or educated yes. Like you're making decisions based around what you want to achieve at your certain period of life, because you have spent so much time training and racing and, and reaching these goals and you've achieved a lot of the things that you've set out to. Like it sounds like you've almost achieved everything, but when you come, when it comes down to it, like you're looking at like society as it is right now and we've got this three month, six month, year period we don't know and there's no future forecast. It sounds like you're very reasonably prepared for this circumstance, like with the stress fractures. I know for me personally, like I've had two or three bouts of stress fractures, two in my back and one in my leg and, the one in my leg was like the best thing that ever happened to me because it meant that I stopped chasing the Ironman dream and it meant that I started surf ski paddling and I'm able to be where I am now because of running too much and training too hard and um, getting pumped in the ski um, at the Nutrigrain trials one year. And then it just sort of like it all snowboarded and everything was like pushing me in one direction. Even if I wasn't really trying to push it in that direction, it eventually just like sort of overtook me and I was like, okay, well, it's an educated yes to go do this stuff and it's an educated no to not do that anymore. So it's, it's really cool to hear the way you are phrasing things that you actually are doing that. Um, and I'm just putting a label on it, but it's, um, it's really, really cool to see. So back to my question, like now you've had a lot of injuries, you've had a lot of success. How do you, how do you think that other people should be dealing with this situation that we're in right now? And um, we've spoken about um, like being positive and doing different activities, but for those young people out there, like sort of like the, 16, 17, 18 year olds who are really trying to push into to be the next Jordan Mercer. Um, and they've got this period of time now where they can really focus on maybe their weaknesses or something like that. What would you, what would you say to them? Well, firstly, I'd be humble if there is youth or anyone out there who wants to be the next Jordan Mercer. There's and definitely, there's definitely people out there who want to be Jordan Mercer. Don't you worry, Jordy. Well, I, I, I want to tell them that I'm humbled by that and, and thank you. Like I'm conscious of what I put out to the world and I'm humbled that you're inspired by that, but don't be the next Jordan Mercer. Be the first version of you and make that the best in the world. Firstly. Um, and, and through this time, I, I, I really, to be honest, I feel like I need to be careful with what I say um, and suggest to people because there are so many uh different challenges and unforeseen I guess issues that are affecting people throughout this period and I'm someone who I am so like thankful and just 
I'm amazed that my life can go on as somewhat normal. You know, I know what it feels like to have lost what I love and what I'm, you know, able to do that's been taken away through injury. So I know what it takes to navigate phases where things that you love or you're used to or identify with are taken away. So in this time, at the moment, I can still go in the ocean. I'm surfing more than what I would be if I was paddling and training like a, a crazy person. So I'm loving that. I can still go out to the national park and go for walks and runs with my dogs. So I love that. I've got time to like tick things off and create really cool content uh, for my social media, which I, I just love that as a creative outlet. So I just feel very lucky um, throughout this phase. There are people that, you know, have lost their jobs or can't see their family and they're stuck in a place that they don't want to be. So I am just careful about what I preach in this time because I feel like I'm quite lucky. I've got, I've got a pretty good in this situation and having sure and partners on my team throughout such a difficult um, season where your income was guaranteed and all these different avenues. And I essentially still have a job. I still have an employee, you know, and, and, I don't take that lightly and I want to do everything I can in that respect um, to represent them while it's not in the way we thought it would be um, racing and being on the top of podiums, but you just have to adjust and get creative. So in this time, if I could give any advice, I think it is that um, just embrace it for what it is. Try your very best not to focus on the negatives. And I think I said earlier, just, let creativity be the only thing that could possibly uh, stop you from progressing. You know, just get creative. Write down small goals each day. It's really, it's a good feeling to tick something off and feel like you're achieving something and progressing. And I've been trying to do that every day for the last couple of weeks and it's definitely helped my mental space. I struggle personally when I don't have purpose or direction and for a couple of days it was a bit like that when... I lost my chance to defend a world title and, you know, all of these other things. But it's just a matter of setting yourself purpose and there's so much you can do. So challenge yourself to, to find and search for these positives. Like you yeah. said, Boofy, there's so many negatives, yes, but there is also positives. So try and search for those and it becomes habitual. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, I guess, as you pointed out there, we're very much limited by our capability to inspire um, creation and inspire different things out of ourselves. And we're only limited by what we, what our mindset puts out. So if we can make our mindset in a positive way, despite all the negatives out there, I think that's really, really important. And that's like the best advice. I think what you've given just there. Now you've spoken a lot about sponsors, um, especially Sean partners in this sort of difficult time, but what, what did like you think that you've, you've been very lucky and I think very fortunate as well um, with the amount of partnerships that you've been able to sustain and you've, you've been really, really successful. So you've been able to capture the audiences of big companies. What, what sort of suggestions do you give to other athletes out there? Um, like whether, whether it's content or whether it's how you approach different sponsors or cause I know for myself, like you always got to speak to people with the utmost respect because you never know who your next um, sponsor or partnership is going to be with. Um, what advice would you give in that scenario for any athletes out there? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, just seeing um, a lot of young athletes or young people trying to do it uh, 
I don't want to say this the wrong way. Um, you can say it the wrong way. It's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll even it out for you. They're, they're wanting other people to believe in them before they can believe in themselves or before they believe in themselves. Um, and looking for that approval from um, incredible dream partnerships that you may have. Um, I just don't think it's the healthiest way to go about it. Um, and for me, since I was very young, I agree with you, Boofy. I, I've been so lucky you know, that I have come in contact with and created these relationships and partnerships with, with brands and companies that have helped inspire um, the athlete that I want to be. And I've been so lucky to have long-lasting partnerships in that sense. And that's something that I was important to me. It wasn't just a quick fix here and there. It was I wanted to develop relationships and to work with people that felt like family to me and people that became my motivation in a way to actually work hard and be my best. So definitely Red Bull being the biggest one in that sense and a partnership like that doesn't happen overnight or it doesn't happen by accident i to use that opportunity as an example when i was younger and a few years before i was signed as a red bull athlete it became a goal of mine so i wrote it down i made it clear i drew pits and and just had like a real visual target that i was aiming for i'm a true believer in you can't hit a target that you can't see and with that i mean make your goals like visible and definitely something that you believe in and that you can see happening you can feel it happening and, and you just believe in its possibility um and then from there i i think i looked at the brand values and well why do i want to represent that brand and for me at the time it was a matter of being inspired by fellow athletes that were red bull athletes and why is that Yes, because they were the best in their different chosen fields, but that wasn't the main thing. I think it was that the, the Red Bull athletes were well-rounded human beings. And I think that looking at that, I wanted to be recognised as that as well. So I knew that you had to be the best in your field. You had to be doing things that hadn't been done before. And it seemed to me like they truly recognised and respected athletes for the people and that they actually are. So I went about, I guess, it felt right to me that that's who I wanted to be as an athlete and to, I guess, have the recognition from a company like that was, um, it meant everything to me because I'd kind of ticked all those boxes that when I thought about who I wanted to be as a person and an athlete and to having, I guess, the support from them uh, to me, I felt like uh, I'd achieved what I wanted to and been, I guess, presenting myself and being honest as the athlete I wanted to be. So the brands and companies that you want to work with, think about what they stand for um, and does that align with you? And if not, I highly encourage you to not change who you are to work with that particular company or brand or product if it doesn't align with who you are and what you want to represent. Um, because I feel like in doing that, it can become quite dangerous. You can just like change your mold, who you are, and yes, be that person and represent this and this and that. But I feel like you come undone and you come a little unstuck with that 
because they're often the temporary partnerships. So to kind of just bring that and make it kind of succinct, I think number one, uh, firstly, work out who you want to be and what makes sense for you to represent and stay true to that. Number two, believe in yourself before anybody else does. And number three, what was that, Boofy? Oh, just I think you talk, what you're talking about is just like making sure that your values and your beliefs align with the companies that you want to represent. Um, your answer was amazing. I think you're talking a really holistically about like you want your whole um, image and brand to be representative of your values. So your values, as Jordan Mercer, probably determined, creative, um, focused, hardworking, like all those things. And very similar to how I sort of try and approach my brand situations. And you want to look for companies that are representative of that. Like, for, say, for example, for Red Bull, for you, it sounds like it was, um, it was a holistic thing. So they were looking at, like, great people, uh, people who have a really good time, but then they're also amazing athletes as well. And so they're hardworking and they, and they really want to achieve something. And that's, that's something that you really aligned with. And, and with Shore and Partners, it's the same thing. Like, you're talking about, short-term versus long-term um, sponsorships and or partnerships, which is probably the better way to look at it. And Shore and Partners is one of those ones that really looks at like their brand values are longevity. Um, it's, it's class. It's, it's talking, um, it's, it's helping people with their money. It's all about that. So and you're someone who really wants to help people as well. And then going back a little bit more, you're sort of talking about, I loved how you phrased that. I, I feel like I'm lucky, but, and I wanted to sort of see how you approach that question and, your, your luck is always created by what you've put in and well, the way that you've worded that and the way that you've come at that question. It's just like you worked really hard to achieve all these sponsorships that you've got and you've, you've put things in place. You've written it down. You've, you've made all these steps and stages to actually create these things. Like you weren't lucky. You, you worked hard and that luck is, and I just love how that, like that definition of how I define luck was basically perfectly scripted by the way you answered that question. So it was really, really good. Cool. Yeah, but it, it is true. No, it, it, I mean, I, I'm bewildered by the fact that I've represented um, and still represent Nike as a Nike athlete, my time with Red Bull and, and now some of the smaller companies that I'm working with just with that vision of making a long-term thing, um, like Cozzy Swimwear as well and, and Nutrigrain more recently. And it definitely is. It's not in my eyes. I don't look at it like a sponsorship. I always look at it like a partnership because yep. I'm not asking myself, what can they give to me? I'm firstly thinking, well, what do I have to offer them? Does it sit right with me? And then from that point, what can we do together? How can we work together for me to be a better athlete and a bigger inspiration for people? And what can I do to give back to your brand and your company? So that's definitely been my, um, I guess, approach to partnerships through my yeah. sporting career. Yeah. And I see like, I was talking to Corey the other day and he had the same approach, like even with him staying at North Piff or staying with Fan or whatever it's been, like he's always had long-term, like for example, like for the sponsors behind me, like Starboard, I've been with for five years, Shuren Partners, I've been with for five years, BMG, I've been with for five years, Cyborg, I've been with for nearly 10 years, Vicobi, nearly eight years, uh, Ocean Powder and Fan, nearly eight years. So it is, it is a, a, they become part of your journey. Like it's not just about you going out and winning races. And I think there's some um, athletes out there who think like, oh, because I've won a race, like I deserve money. And that's just not how you need to approach it. You really need to approach it as 
we're in this journey together. We're increasing exposure for each other. We're trying to help each other be successful. And that's how great partnerships are really, really built. So, um, yeah, it's been, yeah, that's been an awesome little conversation to have with you. I'm glad. It's been nice for me to kind of just um, pull that apart and think about it because I obviously had these some subconscious values, um, but it's been nice to pull it apart. Yeah. And then, so then like moving forward. So after this sort of pause period, what, what's next for Jordan Mercer? Like I know you, um, Kim and yourself are going to get married at some point. You can't really plan for that too thoroughly at the moment. But then after that, are you like you're focusing, like you're going to keep doing like picking like a couple of races a year and, and doing that. Like when, when do you finish university? Like tell us a little bit about what, what the future holds for Jordan Mercer. Yes. It's, I mean, hasn't like the past month and or two months been a big uh, uh, reminder that you really don't know, but yep. as best you can, you can plan and you can set those goals and have those visions. And I think that that's um, something that I'll always stay true to. So um, without knowing what may pop up or what opportunities may come throughout these coming years, um, I'd really like to have this university degree done in the next two years. Yeah. It's, I've done some part-time, full-time at the moment, and it's been a drawn-out process, which I love. I love the challenge of it, but the balance of that with everything else is just what becomes difficult. And I really did want to uh, get on the stand-up and start to take that seriously. But with this uh, ocean sea opportunities, it kind of just shifted my motivation a little. Um, yeah. I think... I, I just thought to myself, like, I would be crazy not to take these ocean ski opportunities. One, I love it. Two, I've got so much room for improvement, but I'm already in a place where I get the chance to race these incredible athletes, like event after event. It seemed new and fresh and, like, even being honest, um, it's a huge draw card having, like, monetary uh, incentives on these races. It's hard to yeah. come by in the sports that I do and uh, I guess – my ability to be a professional athlete for the past 10, 11 years is a product of partnerships. So to have incentives on racing events goes a long way to pay the mortgage, to live yeah. the life I love um, and to put, I guess, plans and practices in place for the future. So ocean ski for sure. Um, I really want to surf big waves. Uh, I haven't, you know, put anything crazy um in the pipeline to make that happen but i've just got a feeling that it'll probably happen in the next two years and nice. like that. you can go I see annie annie in maui and go surfing uh, with her no. yeah yes i'm gonna have to put on my big girl pants and get myself over to some hawaiian winter swell yeah but uh, yeah um just as well personal development you know become a better person and that's through life experiences i think um uh, be the best fiance and hopeful wife to be when when that um, becomes a possibility. Hopefully this year, we'll see. Maybe next year. Yeah. And if we look further down the track, I'm I'm really excited the prospect of starting a family. I, I that really excites me. So that's something that um, I really hope happens. And and Tim's on the same page with that. You know, maybe four years or we'll see how we go. But yeah, I've made a me that I'll keep being um, uh, the best athlete I can possibly be um, throughout my university degree and 
when I've got that magic piece of paper, I feel like I can just relax and embrace life and race yeah. where I want. I've got that magic ticket. I'm good to go when I need to um, get a real job. Um, as yeah. a lot of people tell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're talking a lot about um, doing ocean ski paddling, maybe some sub stuff. Will you try your hand um, again at, um, at the Iron Woman series again, or you think that sort of that, yeah, that you know that doesn't motivate you as much anymore? I'm really excited to see what happens with the Iron Woman series, and for me, uh, the issues I've had with my feet have really dulled my fire within that realm. Um, but having this time, this forced rest, um, has done my feet some favors. So. For me, nothing quite compares to the feeling of being injury-free in racing in an Ironwoman. Like, yeah. That is the most fun I have racing. I love it. But because it's just, it seems so far-fetched because my body has been somewhat broken for some time that the, the goal and my direction, I just, I didn't lay everything. Um, I, I guess the cards weren't all on that table because there was things that I could do, so I chose to do those. But yeah. Honest, the uh, Nutrigrain Iron X. I hope we get another shot at that because I want to redeem myself and win that title. Um, yeah. And if my body is in a state that I can race injury free and do Ironman, I will be there on the start yeah. line where I can. And so will I, hopefully, uh, if I get another shot at it. Because I know this year, like, uh, I was so happy I raced because obviously there's no other races I can really do this year. So I think that was my last race. And um, I went into it like with no preparation, just like when I did my best and it like nearly killed me. Like I was so exhausted when I finished it, but it was such a fulfilling concept. And I think it, it gave me a lot of excitement when I went and did it. So I, I'd love to see it back. And I, I think it was a fantastic concept and um, just doing those different challenges and, and mixing it up. I, I think a lot of people saw how um, I think, I guess like, cause we've got that sort of mindset where we sort of approach anything and we take opportunities. And if there's a different event, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to participate in like having the sup element in there and doing the, the CrossFit or Ninja Warrior exercises. I thought that was just fantastic. And I really, really enjoyed it. But um, yeah, we'll just see what happens with that. I, I hope they, I hope they bring it back in this summer, maybe. I know it would be amazing. And, and again, as you mentioned, Yes, we are athletes that love to say yes to opportunities and do this and that, but I feel like I don't want to speak on behalf of you, but from the time I've spent with you, Boothie, it, it's, it's always a calculated decision, you know? Mm. And for me, in regards to that INX, it was obviously such a widely controversial event um, to happen, but I just believed um, in the vision I had for it, and, and that was as simply as... I saw it as an opportunity to expand uh, the eyes that watched our sport and expand the reach that our sport had being Ironman and Ironwoman racing as an opportunity to show in a relatable way, these athletes are badass. Like these yeah. athletes are amazing. Oh my gosh, they're doing this, this and that. I do that in the gym and it's really hard and they're doing it after they've been in the water. So really just like, just, innocently and simply put i saw that as an opportunity to showcase uh what iron men and women are able to do you know and what they're capable of doing and that doesn't mean they're the best in the world at jumping on a sup or climbing on monkey bars and doing this that and the other but they are the athletes that 
are willing to say yes to a challenge, even if they're not the best at it. And I think that that's, you know, what we stand for in Surf Life Saving. And to see CrossFit athletes and stand-up paddlers, and I know you have a Surf Life Saving background, but to see the best athletes in these outside sports, like the stand-up, come in and give it a crack, like, it is just hats off to you guys because the courage shown to just put yourself out there and say yes to a challenge because you believe in its worth um i was really inspired by that as well and i think it it gave so much to the event so yeah, yeah I hope and that and i think like you know as you say like yeah a lot of the things that i do are calculated like i don't do anything without thinking about it and making decisions and sort of sitting on it for a while and for me it was all about um helping a sport that has for whatever reasons has sort of decreased in, in interest in the, in the general society. And I thought by coming back into that sport, I could bring new eyes and new sort of um, viewership into that sport. And I think, I think it did that. And I think people were widely excited. I had a lot of text messages and a lot of comments about like how, how exciting it was, how cool it was that we did it. Like I, I went there on no training. Like I'd, I'd been in Europe for five weeks on my holiday after my season, my actual season. I'd, I'd driven back from Albany. I'd, I'd flown from Perth the night before the race. My dad had to organize everything for me. Actually, Darren did a lot of organizing for me as well to get to that start line. And um, I just love opportunities. And, and I think I have a really good feeling about a, an event like that. Um, will it stay in that, in that sort of format? Who knows? But I just, I had a good feeling. And, and when I make these decisions, I, I do them because I actually believe in what I do. I would never put my foot on a start line if, if I didn't believe in the concept and the event. Yeah, yeah, so down to that, uh, um, your personal brand, in a sense, you know, and without making it too business like, um, it's very much like that. You make these decisions because, yes, you're in the public eye and, and what you do is judged and seen. So you really have to um, orchestrate that and have some control over it. So I respect you for making calculated decisions in what you do and as well as taking those big risks putting yourself out there, being vulnerable. And that's something that I pride myself on and I see it in you a lot. And that was a big inspiration for me to try and get on the stand up and work on my balance um, yeah. to, to challenge because I saw what you did and it really inspired me. I was ready for a fresh change and a new challenge. So yeah, I, I, I admire the way you go about your life and as a business and also something that you just love. Yeah, and I think that's and that's such an important thing. I think for anybody listening, it's it's all about making decisions based on what you want to do, not based on what someone else's opinion of you. It's like I live by the rule that ten percent of people are gonna not like what I do. They they're generally just either not gonna like me as a person, or they're not gonna like who I am, and that's okay because that, and then the other ninety percent think that what I do is fantastic, and and I'm happy with that because I can't please everybody, and the person that you need to please first is actually yourself your friends, your family, the people who actually surround you, your sponsors, your partners, the people who actually build you up and want to be part of your journey. But there's never going to not be criticism. Like people love criticism. People love trying to bring other people down and, and trying to make like, like if they can't, because you hear a lot, a lot about this on like a lot of different podcasts and books. Like there are people who are going to constantly surround you. who are going to try and pull you down and you just got to like ignore them and just go about what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about something and you love doing something that you do, you're going to succeed because that's, that's what you're probably meant for. Like if you, in your gut, like, and I always say this, like in my gut, I have really good feelings about things. And like, even with this boothcast or podcast, um, I have just a good feeling about it because I actually really enjoy doing it. So I, who knows where it can go, but 
at the moment, I'm just enjoying talking to, to great people like yourself and having conversations and just seeing similar mindsets and sort of creating a pattern of what success looks like because they, all the people that I'm speaking to are very successful people and they may not be the big name or the, the big um, person like in social media or anything like that, but they're, they're successful in their life. Like you look at someone like Gordon Stimson, I interviewed the other day and he just had like this great story and like people just rallied around him because he gives so much back. And I think that's something that is just so cool to see. Like people just really love getting behind people and supporting each other. And there's just so many opportunities out there that we can really progress with. Yeah, I think that's a nice um, little reminder for the youth out there as well to be very conscious of who you surround yourself with. I mean, a lot of the time it's out of your control who you're next to in certain situations, but for the better part of your day, you really have the power to choose who you surround yourself with. And it is so important and critical that you surround yourself with people that you feel as though you can be your vulnerable self. And that doesn't necessarily mean laying your emotions all out on the table. That just means putting yourself out there and saying yes to challenges that aren't a sure win. Mm. And I see in a lot of situations, and it makes me so sad that people are maybe caught up um, in a crowd that they just, it's a bit of like the tall poppy syndrome or you get knocked down for trying and, oh, it's not cool to try. It's not cool to put yourself out there and to fail. Um, and it makes me so sad. Like, you know, there, there's a reason why there's a group of people and it's a small group of people in all walks of life. But yeah. I think they are people. They're not the champions from the beginning. They're the ones that are almost fearless in just giving their best effort. And I think that uh, to support yourself um, on that journey, if that is the one that inspires you and you choose to take, be careful of who you surround yourself with. Absolutely. And because as, as like, I think to simplify everything that we've just said, it's just, it's all about, you're, you are a product of your environment. If you surround yourself with winners, you'll probably become a winner because you learn the tricks. And I, I love to learn off, um, I read reading books or autobiographies or like something like similar to what Earl said like in my previous podcast. Like he loves to read about successful people because they have created the pathway to success. And if you can surround yourself with people who have been successful, you're more likely to be successful yourself. If you surround yourself with detractors and people who don't take risks and don't take on their, their, those challenges that are around themselves, you're not going to be able to progress yourself, are you? No. It's, yeah. it's going to be a lot harder, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think that's a really, really good note to finish on. I think I've had a fantastic conversation with you today, Geordie. Um, we've learned so much about your passion, your drive, like your commitment to achieving goals, like your mental struggles and actually turning themselves, them into a positive. So I really appreciate you, you coming on and chatting today. Uh, thank you for the time and thanks for the opportunity. I hope no. everyone um, can try and put a smile on their dial and just stay safe and healthy through this crazy time yeah for sure and out there to all those viewers um if you want to watch this back um please check out michael booth um on facebook they're in a folder called boothcast in my video section or you can go on um, podcast we're now on itunes spotify and all your favorite um podcast channels so if you want to watch and if you have any ideas of who you'd like me to interview next please leave them in the comments please like please subscribe 
um, and we can get this out to more people. We can keep spreading this positive voice. Uh, we can keep talking about sport, business, and that winning mindset. So thank you so much, everyone who's given me support so far, and I will keep this going. Thank you so much. And thank you, Jordy. Pleasure.